but we can't celebrate a half a day, so we begin that evening with the first day of the month, the whole day we have to do. But the actual conjunction, which is rarely visible, <clears throat> will actually occur where most of the nation can see it. It'll be a total eclipse across from Oregon to South Carolina. And uh, I heard about a 75% here, and we're quite a way south of that, almost to the south edge of the, of the nation. So most of the nation will see at least a partial eclipse. So Monday night, Bible study at 7.30. <clears throat> I might make a brief comment about what's going on in our country at the moment. Uh, many things appear to be falling apart. The Trump administration is having all kinds of problems. And uh, this week, the CEOs of many of the top businesses in the nation who were on a committee to advise the president all quit, and he's disbanded that committee. And then after that, those who were involved in arts and culture, whatever it is, uh, some of the movie stars and so on, uh, that whole committee quit, so he disbanded that committee. And uh, on Google News about 20 minutes ago, I turned it on, and there's another one of the presidential advisor committees that just quit. I, it slipped my mind which one it was, so I went back in there and pulled Google up again during the songs, and uh, it's disappeared. <laughs> it was on for a short while, and then it was off. So, uh, And he also, one of his staunchest advisors and, uh, and backers, uh, he just fired, uh, what's his name, Steve Bannon or something like that. Uh, so the administration is simply falling apart, and a lot of it has to do with uh, this left and right wing thing and what the president actually said was pretty much down the middle everybody needs to have a better attitude about everything and not be racist and yet uh, he got in all kinds of trouble from the left side the, the left wing on that and uh, they're taking down statues of the confederacy all over the country and now they're calling for the Washington Monument the Jefferson Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial to be destroyed for the carvings, which are as big as the ones on Mount Rushmore in Georgia, of the leaders of the Confederacy to be blown up, the mountain to be blown up. And it has even been mentioned that Mount Rushmore itself be blown up because Washington and Jefferson owned slaves. And, uh, and uh, Theodore Roosevelt and, and Abraham Lincoln were sympathetic to white supremacy. Uh, so... Our nation is simply beginning to come apart at the seams. And this will lead to civil war. I have no doubt of it because Jeremiah 50:51 says it will happen. So we're a little worried, I think, about North Korea right now and a lot of stuff going on about that. But uh, maybe something will happen there. <clears throat> it will not be the takedown of our nation. It's not coming from there. Uh, I don't believe North Korea is the king of the north or is the uh, Assyrian, which the scriptures plainly say will be the ones who lead the charge against America. I still think that there is probably something that will come up, maybe a jihad here within America of the Muslims or whatever, and perhaps Iran will be blamed as the leading terrorist nation on earth. 
because we are to destroy the horns of the Medes and the Persians. We already did Iraq. Probably the Medes and the Iranians call themselves the Persians. And it says there in Daniel 8 that after we break that other horn of the Persians, that our horn will be broken. And it will be a coalition of many nations that come to do it. So uh, North Korea might be used to, to help set some of this off. I don't know. But they're not going to be the ones that destroy our nation. I think that's fairly clear in the Scriptures. <coughs> So a lot of people are worried about something that isn't the problem, and they're not worrying about the thing that is the problem, because they don't understand and they don't know. Anyway, just a, a couple of brief comments there. In, in a sense, in the light of what I said last week about Amos 8 uh, and the basket of summer fruit and it becoming dark at noon, with the eclipse crossing our nation at basically noontime, the sun will be dark. So, and it says many people will start dying and have to be buried. Uh, so when this thing starts, it's going to start fast and furious. And uh, who knows what might be set off. I do not know. But uh, he says no more delay. That this sign of darkness at noon across Ephraim uh, is meaningful, I think, probably this year. It isn't the first time we've had an eclipse, no. But it's the first one that's gone across the middle of America at noon, <laughs> probably in a long, long, long time beyond anybody's memory, so that it's visible pretty much across the country. And uh, the things that Amos says there are beginning to form very rapidly right now. I mean, even as we speak, there are protests going on all across the nation in quite a few different cities. Had a big one in Boston. It's apparently coming to an end now. <clears throat> so, who knows where all this leads? Well, we know where it leads. It leads to civil war and then the destruction of our country. That's coming up very soon. Let's get back to Ezekiel then. Last week we covered chapter 1, which shows a very dramatic way that God appeared to start giving Ezekiel a message that he was to deliver. So, this, as I described it, portable throne that brought Christ and took him where he wanted to go, uh, came and appeared before Ezekiel. So this wasn't your normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill occurrence. This was something way out of the ordinary that happened here. And God sometimes does things in a fairly dramatic fashion, sometimes less dramatic than this sometimes as dramatic as in Pentecost or the Red Sea or some of the things he's done, the prophets of Baal with Elijah, and so on and so forth. There have been some very dramatic things that God has done. And at times he has spoken in a still small voice as he did to Elijah at one time. But in this particular case, Ezekiel was to deliver a very, very important message and Christ got his attention, and I think that uh, since this is an end-time prophecy, there are going to be some things very similar to this happen again, and I'll have more to comment on that when we see this particular chapter 1 repeated a little further on in the book and gives us some more clues, perhaps, as to what uh, the meaning of this is here in the end time. But I want to leave that now and not get ahead of the story, but just with that review, how 
much God wanted this message to get across, and he pretty well terrified Ezekiel when he appeared under these circumstances. In verse 28 of chapter 1, it says, It came as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the eternal. So very similar to what the Apostle John saw in Revelation 1, where Christ appeared in vision in his glory. So here, in this means of transportation, Christ appeared in a glorious fashion in the same way that he did to John in the book of John. And we're going to see some parallels between Ezekiel's account here and things that God repeated in the book of Revelation which are indeed an end-time prophecy and is and tied in very closely with the book of Ezekiel and the message that is delivered here. So we cannot escape the things in Revelation as being end-time. And when John goes back and takes things from Ezekiel and puts them in the book of Revelation, that brings uh, Ezekiel into focus as an end-time prophecy and a prophecy to the church. And you well know, over the last 21 years, going starting on 22, that I've been saying over and over again, since God helped me understand, that all of these prophecies have to do first with the church, and secondly, to the nation. So, the first message of Ezekiel is to the church. Let's have that firmly in mind as we get into chapter 2. He said to me, Son of man, stand upon your feet, and I will speak to you. So he had fallen on his face at the end of verse 28 when he was in the presence of Christ, as people always do. And uh, he says, Stand up. Well, the man had rubber legs at this point. He was scared. Uh, he probably couldn't get up. It says, And when the Spirit entered into me, when he spoke to me, and set me upon my feet that I heard him that spoke to me. So Ezekiel was so terrified, so speechless, so rubber-legged, that he had to be set upon his feet. So this was a pretty powerful message. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even to this very day. So Ezekiel, as a former prophet, was speaking to people there who were in captivity, just as today we have to speak to a church which is in captivity. I hope we understand that by now. In Ezekiel 5, it talks about how our nation will go into the tribulation and one-third will die of famine and pestilence, one-third of the sword, and one-third go into captivity, and most of them die there so that only a little less than 10% remain. They will be protected at Zion. So we have seen the church go through this. It's not quite complete, but it's getting very, very near completion. Where about a third of what was Worldwide Church of God 
has been destroyed because of spiritual famine and losing the Word of God and not having the Word of God to, to keep them. We have had about a third who have died spiritually, who have quit the church or given up or whatever. And then we have a third who are still alive or maybe still in the church, but they are in the captivity of not knowing what they're doing or why they're doing it. They have lost sight of God. They don't understand what God is doing in the prophecies. They're just trying to go on doing what Worldwide was doing. And they are in the captivity of misunderstanding, and in that sense, the captivity of Satan, who has caused them to have a focus different than that of God. God's focus is given in these prophecies, and none of them understand these prophecies. They don't understand what has happened to the church. So in that sense, they are in a spiritual captivity to Satan and this world, and they think that they are still worshiping God. But they're doing something different than what God is doing. So, he says, they've rebelled against him, even as their fathers did. Now, what is the first thing that Zechariah says when he begins his message? Now, Haggai started the message about building the temple, gathering together to build the temple. And in the middle, time-wise, the dates are given, in the middle time-wise of the book of Haggai, Zechariah began the message. And he told the end-time church, verse 4 of chapter 1, Be not as your fathers, to whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Turn you now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken to me, says the Eternal. Your fathers, where are they? They're dead. And the prophets, do they live forever? No, they died too. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? The rebellious died. Remember Korah and Abiram and some of those? And they returned and said, Likewise, as the Lord of hosts thought to do to us according to our ways and according to our doings, so has he dealt with us. So there is a warning to the end-time church not to rebel against those whom God sends to teach them his ways. He even says in Exodus 23 that if God sends a messenger and you don't do what he says, he will have no mercy on you. Very clear. So, he said, I'm sending you to a rebellious nation. Now, let's draw this down and understand, brethren. God helped me and showed me, and in somewhat dramatic fashion, that I was to be a watchman here at the end. He gave me understanding that no one else in the church had been given. You have come to understand those same things because I've showed them to you in the Scripture. Now, I can only be a watchman to those whom God put within my hearing, right? Now, we started out first feast with 70 people who had heard the Minor Prophets series 
which was a religious series, thank you. And they responded to it and came to Zion for the Feast of Tabernacles. First feast. They began to understand what Zion really meant and that it is the place of gathering of God's people. And then they came, according to Micah 4, to leave the cities in the midst of Babylon and come dwell even in Babylon, but out in the wilderness, the plains, the open area, the fields. So they understood that, and they came. And they heard. That number grew to 120 the second feast, and to 150 after that. Then it went back to 120, then to 70, and it's gone downhill until we're looking at 1520 now. And I believe there's a reason for that, because I believe we're a microcosm of the overall church, of which about 10% will respond. Now, when God gives this message, and I am a watchman for those whom God revealed what he revealed, we have here on this property those who heard that, who responded to it, who came to keep the Feast of Tabernacles at Zion, who understood the Minor Prophets series, and who moved out here for that very reason. That was the reason. It wasn't a homeowners association or a landowners association. There was no land back then. And they didn't even come to Arizona then. They came to mostly command Utah, a little few in St. George. And I'm going to tell you, and you're going to see... But this message is, first of all, to them. I'm not going to spare any punches today, and you're going to see why as we go through this. The warning that is given to those who are about to come out of Babylon and go to Zion is given in Zechariah 1, in the middle of the book of Haggai, and most of the message that they heard, that they responded to, was that they were to come out here to build the temple. Okay, that's the one Zechariah was addressing. And he told them not to rebel. Clear? That's what Zechariah and Haggai are all about, is the two witnesses and the people, the 10% remnant who come to build the temple. And Zechariah warned them not to rebel against those whom God had sent. Okay? I send you to a children, to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Now, these people out here think they've rebelled against Daryl Henson. Just as Samuel thought the people had rebelled against him. And God said, no, they've rebelled against me. So here God says they have rebelled against him and what he has been doing and has purposed to do. They are impudent children and stiff-hearted. Hard to talk to somebody who is impudent and stiff-hearted. I do send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. So it is my duty to tell them what God has to say. And if I don't, there are some very serious ramifications we're going to see in a moment. The hammer's coming down today. 
Thus says the Lord. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell them if they will listen. Sometimes some of them tune in, or they listen later. Maybe someone will have the good sense to tell them they might ought to hear this. Because I want them to hear it. So he says, And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear or not listen, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know there has been a prophet among them. They will come to know that. Not yet. They're still in a rebellion. What did they say to Moses? God speaks through us too. We're just as good as you is, Moses, and maybe better. That has been the mantra, the cry of rebels all the way back. Is who do you think you are? Now, they one time held me in fairly high esteem. They had held a message that I was giving in high esteem, and they even acted upon it and came out here. And then they began to look around and they began to accuse me of things, most of which I did not do, hardly any of which I've heard that I actually did. It's been over-embellished and so on, but it does no good to defend myself. Mark 9.31 says that the one who was in this position would be considered as nothing. Not, as it says in the King James. So, that's a prophecy too, so I'm not worried about it. But, Verse 6, You, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. So, I do not let what they have to say bother me, because God commands me not to. Pay no attention to what they have to say. They've tried to scare me. They've tried to intimidate me. They've tried to run me off in their latest offer that they'd give me $100,000 if I'd get out of here in 30 days. And they'd pay the land off. I don't know how they can't borrow a land that's in my name. And uh, maybe they have some secret financier. I don't know. <clears throat> but I am unimpressed. I came here for a reason that God gave, and I'm not backing off. So I'm not afraid of what they have to say, or of their threats, or their lawsuit, or anything else. Though briars and thorns be with you. Now, my margin says in the Hebrews here, or in the Hebrew, that rebels is a better translation. But a, a rebel has briars and thorns, so these people are likened to briars and thorns or rebels. God says he will purge the rebels from among us. He tells what he's going to do with the rebels in Jeremiah 11 that the rebels of Anatoth will go into famine and pestilence, and all of them, man, woman, and child, will die, I think, in the tribulation, if not before, but by famine and the sword. If they do not repent, that is what is going to happen. But he's going to say several times here that they are rebellious. One of them even called me the rebel. No, I'm doing what God instructed me to do. And I'm reading from his word what he says about rebels. I'm reading them and telling them God's word. No, I'm not the one that rebelled. I'm the one that's out here doing what God told me to do in 1994 and 1996 and thereafter. And in these scriptures. I'm still doing it. And I haven't done the things they say I've done. 
<clears throat> but you can't convince them because they believe it. So, so be it. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Now, this is speaking, first of all, to the rebels of Anatoth. Then it's speaking to the greater church of God, which is also in rebellion against God. And then, ultimately, it's speaking to the whole nation, which is also in rebellion against God. God does these things in layers. <clears throat> but Anatoth is the first rebellion that he has to deal with. They, and you shall speak my words to them, whether they will hear or whether they will not listen, for they are most rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. I have to listen to what God says here. Be not you rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat that I give you. Whatever God shows me in His Word, I have to take it, I have to partake of it, and as you will see, I have to tell it. And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent to me, <clears throat> and roll, lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentation and mourning and woe. Now we're going to read about, in a moment, another little book. Now the Bible is the book of God, and what is written in it? What about the book of Lamentations, just before Ezekiel, where he talks about how God has destroyed the church, tied in with Revelation 3, which says Laodicea will be spewed out. Read the whole book of Lamentations. It's about God destroying the church and then later the nation. But we're dealing here first with the church. So, what he was given was full of lamentation and mourning. You mourn when people die. And woe. The woes of Revela the book of Revelation are about a multitude of death. So, what God gave Ezekiel was something that has a lot of bad news in it. And he was to proclaim it. He says, eat this. Take it. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat that you find. Eat this roll and go speak to the house of Israel. So God says, what you read is what you better go speak. And he has showed me in the Scriptures a lot of things that these people who are rebelling now against him understood and they say that they are not rejecting what they learned from whom? But they're rejecting me as a person. Okay. But that isn't what God says. He says they rebelled against Him. Because God appointed me. God gave me the understanding. You cannot find the understanding that you have anywhere else on this earth today. The message of the minor prophets and the major prophets is not understood by anyone unless they've heard it here. Now, Herbert Armstrong used to say that about the things that God had taught him. He says, there's no place on earth and hasn't been preached for 1,900 years. I've heard him say that I don't know how many times. He was speaking the truth. And I'm not bragging, I'm speaking the truth. 
those people heard the prophecies from me that God gave me. And now they're denying me. And God says, no, they're not denying you, they're denying me. Because I appointed you to do this, and they're not listening. They've gotten the man in the way of what God is doing through a man. And that is a terrible thing to do. They let Moses get in their way, and they died. They let the apostles get in their way, and they got drug out by the feet in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. And God has said the rebels of Anatoth are going to die, man, woman, and child, every one of them, by famine and sword. He even says at the beginning of that, at the end of of, uh, Jeremiah 11, not to even pray for them, because they will not repent. So we're talking to some pretty hard-headed people here that are so adamant about how bad I am that they've forgotten what God is doing. And I'm sorry, and I'm sorry I haven't been a perfect example, and I'm sorry I do have sins. I'm sorry I do have bad attitudes at times. But I go to God and I ask His forgiveness. And I'm doing my best to do what God wants done and live the way God wants me to live. And I haven't been living the way they say I have. So there. And they have no proof of any such thing, just their suppositions. Can't prove what ain't been done. Okay, he says, Eat this roll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that roll. Now, I'm supposed to go speak what God has shown me. Let's go to the book of Revelation 11 here. Well, let's not go quite yet. Let's go on down a minute. He said to me in verse 3, Son of man, cause your belly to eat. Fill your bowels with this roll. Chew it up, swallow it, that I give you. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Okay? What God had given him was like honey for sweetness. Tasted good in his mouth. Let's go to Revelation 10 now. Uh, Here, he saw a mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow. Did we not see that in Ezekiel 1? And he had this little book. And he roared with a voice like a lion and uttered seven thunders, verse 3. And when these thundered, He said, seal up the seven thunders, verse 4, and write them not. So what those seven thunders said is not known at this point. Some speculate, and let them speculate, but I think it will become very clear very soon. But this has to do with, verse 7, the seventh angel sounding, and the mystery of God would be finished in the first resurrection. So these are the events leading up to the first resurrection. End-time events, right? They culminate in the return of Christ. And the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. So he's commanded to take that book. And I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make your belly bitter, but it shall be in your mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, 
And it was in my mouth, sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So here, the story of Ezekiel, chapter 3, verse 1, is fast-forwarded to the book of Revelation, chapter 10. And chapter 10 of Revelation was written thousands of years after Ezekiel had died, and John the Baptist, I'm John, no, John the Apostle was being given a revelation of things that would occur in the end time. So the story of Ezekiel's little book ties in with the end time, lest there be any mistake. Chapter 11 goes on and it describes the two witnesses and that they are not to go to the world at first, but they are to go to uh, the altar, the temple of God, and them that worship therein. So to the church, both the ministry and those that worship there is their first job. That ties in with Zechariah 4 where it says that they are the seven candlesticks giving their oil to the 10% remnant. And the two olive uh, branches there in chapter 4, verse 14 of Zechariah are the same as those in chapter 11, verse 4 here. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So the end-time prophecy of the two witnesses is recounted in Haggai and Zechariah and throughout all the prophecies of the Bible. And Ezekiel was a type of those who would come. Those who would come would be given this little book. We've been this this Bible is actually a fairly small book, isn't it? Doesn't it contain a lot of lamentation and mourning and woe? Yes, it does. Now, when you read it and you hear about the kingdom of God and the purpose and the plan of God, which is some of the first things you heard of when you learned about Herbert Armstrong and Worldwide Church of God and the very purpose for mankind on the earth to become God, and you learn those things, were they not ever sweet in your mouth? They certainly were. The message of this book is a wonderful message, sweet to the taste. But then you start reading about all the horror stories that have to occur before the kingdom of God appears. And that is very bitter. Where 90% plus a few hairs of Israel will die. Where over 90% of the population of the earth, which is nearing 7 billion, will die. Only 100 million preserved, as Daniel points out, for Christ to begin to judge and rule when he returns. It's a very bitter message that you have to digest. Now, I pray often, Thy kingdom come, as Christ told us to do there in the sample prayer. Because I want His kingdom to be here. But then even as I pray, I think of all the horror things, or horrible things, that have got to happen. Famine and pestilence and disease and sword before His kingdom can be set up. And that leaves me bitter because I don't want to see billions of people die in horrible, excruciating fashion. But it's going to happen.
So what God is telling Ezekiel here is that in the end time, Judah was already in captivity and he was among them. Even as the church is already in captivity today and has been decimated, as I've already recounted earlier in this very sermon. So, he's told, eat this book and go and tell them what it says. And even though the outcome in the long run is sweet, read Isaiah 54 on, among others, and how God is going to give us the Garden of Eden and bless us while we rest. He has to have those who are obeying Him who will be blessed even during this end time, at the time of the two witnesses. He says, you'll come and dwell with us in, Je- in Zechariah 2, and we'll have villages and much men and cattle there and be in a situation of blessing. And that's in the direct context of the two witnesses in the end-time church building the temple. So he said, Speak my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel, spiritual Israel first, then physical Israel. And first of all, to those whom God has revealed this precious truth that has been revealed in the last 21 years since he, well, actually more than that, since 1994, that he has been bringing out. So it is especially to those people, much is given, much is required. And these people on this land have been given more understanding and knowledge than any people on earth. There are not 50 people on the face of this earth today who know where Jerusalem is. A hundred if you want to really push it who really believe and understand it. Some saw the holy hill of Jerusalem and rejected it. And it's an even smaller group that knows where the actual city itself was on the hill of Jerusalem. Very few know where that is. When you are given much, much is required of you. So, These people who are in rebellion on this land are more in rebellion against God than any of the rest of the church. More is required of them than the rest of the church who has not yet heard, but soon will. Okay? It's on the website, but most of the church either thumbs past it, doesn't recognize it, And I am held by the overall church, not just here, but the overall church of God uh, looks down upon me because of a reputation from 40, 45 years ago. Uh, The things they heard about me back then, and some of those things were true. I was a man that was brought out of the fire, as Zechariah 2 shows. So some of the things you might have heard may be true. I don't know what all was said, but some of it was probably true. Some of it was probably not, but some of it was. But that's a long, long time ago. And it isn't current. It's not happening today. None of the things from back then are happening today. So, too bad about that. But you can believe what you want to believe. So he says, not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language whose words you cannot understand, 
Surely he had a sin to you to them, they would have hearkened to you. Just like Jonah was listened to by Nineveh, but not by Israel. Now, we don't have people here, really, who that we've been in contact with that have a strange language. We've been to some in Africa uh, here and there who didn't understand much English. But uh, remember, this is speaking to the whole church as well. And under Worldwide, uh, there were nations around the world where people were converted, and many of them had strange languages and knew not a whole lot of English. But most of the church did understand English pretty well, but they were sometimes hard to understand. I've met people in Africa that spoke English, but boy, it was sure hard to understand what they were saying because it wasn't their natural language. But the house of Israel, verse 7, will not hearken to you. They're not going to listen. The things I'm saying today will be rejected, I almost guarantee you. Now, God leaves the door open a little bit, says, if they will listen. But, he says here, they will not listen. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads, as an adamant, harder than flint, have I made your forehead, fear them not. My head is harder than their head. God has made it that way. And that's the way it's going to be. They want to butt heads with me. They will butt something harder than they are. Because God is behind me. And He has made my hard head, or the head harder than theirs. Now they've convinced themselves at this point God is on their side and they're going to win. So did uh, Corin, Abiram, and others. God speaks through us. God's not speaking through Moses anymore. He's speaking through us. You know, it's the same old, same old. The story's never changed. Was Moses perfect? No. Did Miriam and Aaron accuse him correctly? They did marry a woman that he shouldn't have? Probably. Probably. I've been accused of marrying somebody I shouldn't marry. That I'm living in it, or was living in adultery till Marla died. God accepted that marriage. You know how I know for sure that he did? Because he began to give me this message that I've been preaching way after we got married. And if he had considered that I was living in adultery, he wouldn't have given me this message. He accepted that marriage. I don't care what you think. And he backed Moses over Aaron and Miriam. And he backed Moses over those who said, God speaks to us. Now, am I grinding a personal axe here? No, I'm telling you what God says. Verse 10, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you receive in your heart and hear with your ears. He says, listen to what I'm telling you. I wasn't going to get this specific and this personal today until I began to realize where these rebellious people are headed Monday morning. We'll get into that here in a moment.
And go, get you to them of the captivity to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them, Thus says the eternal God, whether they will hear or whether they will not. Then the Spirit took me up, and I heard behind me a voice of a great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the eternal from his place. Now, when God says to tell these things, it shows right here he's backing it up. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit. He was upset, he was animated, he was frustrated, but the hand of the Eternal was strong upon me. It became strong upon me this morning as I prayed that this story had to be told in its entirety so that the message might be out there and none of it held back. That's what God's been saying here. You do every, you say everything I've given you. And he laid it on me this morning that I need to tell this story. These rebels have filed a lawsuit, and that lawsuit says that this is not a religious thing. It is a homeowners association. Doesn't use the word homeowners, but an association. Their lawyer has said, that this isn't about church and religion, it's about an association, about land. Not one of those people came out of here because they heard there was a homeowner's association that they could become a part of. They heard the minor prophets. They heard about the calendar. They heard about religion. They are part of the worldwide church of God. Some of them are part of the church of the great God. Then they came to a congregation of God. It was religious all the way. Had nothing to do with a land association or homeowners. When they came to Canab, there was no land. We found this land over a year later. Didn't have anything to do with that. But their lawsuit says it did. Now, they might say, well, our lawyer told us this. And uh, so we'll try to win the case with this. It's a lie. Their lawyer's lying and they're buying it. Which means they're lying. Had nothing to do with the homeowners association. They came here because of Micah 4. They came here because of the minor prophets. They came here because of the calendar. They came here because they heard the word of God being preached. And if they tell you anything different than that, they're liars. And we're starting depositions Monday morning with them. And they are going to attest to this lie formally, under oath, that that lawsuit is correct. They're going to be formally, before court, lying, perjuring themselves. And not just about that. They're going to try to convince a court, ultimately, if it gets that far, that they were given a promise that they would have a deed to their land or their lot and that I would give it to them. I never promised that. Ever. They even filed a paper with the county that says they have a lease to buy. They mean a purchase option. 
That's an abject, outright lie. Show me one lease that I ever issued and signed that says anything about a purchase option. It is a straight lease. Nothing about a purchase. The, the whole point of making it a lease was that they not be able to later sell off part of this land because I believe it is here for the purposes of God. And they would not be allowed to sell it. Otherwise, we could have subdivided and we could have given them a deed to their lots, but some of them would have sold. Some who have already left here years ago would have sold. Some of those who are now are just waiting, hoping for a deed so they can sell and leave. Some are, some aren't. Some think that they're going to do the work of God here instead of you and me. They made it a personal vendetta against me and they forget all about you members. There's still a congregation of God and you're members of it. You know what? Amos 8 may apply to this as well. We're coming up on the new moon <clears throat> on Monday after Monday around noon. And these people are coming, waiting for the new moon to be over so that they can steal this land from you and me. And take it over and do as they please with it. And they don't want just their lots. Now in their latest offer, they demanded all of it again. And that they would pay it off and pay the back taxes and give me $100,000 if I would disappear in 30 days. Where does that leave you? I'll tell you what. I got a flint forehead. I am not taking their offer. And our lawyer got uptight with their offer, lawyer because he's wasting our time and money with such stupid, ridiculous offers. <clears throat> Where, even if they had been offered a deed, what would have been two? Only their lot. That's all their lease covered was their lot or lots if they got another one or two on the ag. That's all. They wouldn't have gotten title of the whole thing. And that's what they're asking. But unless they repent, you know what else they said in that lawsuit? They want to be made members of a congregation of God. Which means that they know they are no longer part of the church. They want the judge to make them members of the church. How does the world's judge make them members of the congregation of God? Do you want them sprinkled or immersed? And then they want the church dissolved and them to have the land. That's what their lawsuit says, and some of them may not have even read it. But they're going to go in on an oath and confirm that lawsuit to destroy a branch of the church of God, a congregation of God. That's what their lawsuit actually asked for, is that this church be destroyed. One of them, some time back, told, sent me a note and said, I will not move against the church of God in any way. And then he did. And then he did. He's no longer around, but he did. Is that a sign? Maybe they better be listening. My wife died too. I think there's a sign there too. 
the bride of Christ is almost dead. My wife died on Pentecost, the day that the church is supposed to, by symbol, be engaged to Christ. How does a dead bride become engaged to Christ? And most of the church is spiritually almost dead. And more are going to spiritually die and physically die. Now that's later on in the church, in the book of Ezekiel, about Ezekiel's wife dying, and we'll have more to say later. But some people better listen. God is trying to let them know what they are doing. They are liars and thieves. Let's go to Colossians 3 just a moment. What does God have to say? Wherefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it good to be left... Wait a minute, I'm in Thessalonians. That won't work. That didn't sound right. Colossians 3. All right, if you then be risen with Christ, if you are living by the Spirit of God through Christ, seek those things which are above, not those things which are on earth. Land, houses, cars, whatever. Where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. What's this lawsuit about? Things on the earth. Is it a lying lawsuit? Yes, it is. Is it fraudulent? Yes, it is. Have they embezzled rent from the legal uh, landlord? They have illegally, against state law, withheld their rent, their lease money. They're out here using this dumpster and they don't pay a dime on it. That's thievery. That's stealing. They're taking a service that they have not paid for. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall he, you also appear with him in glory. Now, they have that potential, just as you and I have that potential. But, we've got to read the rest. That's sweet to read right there in verse 4. But see what this does to your belly. Mortify, that is, kill, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, insubordinate affection, evil lawlessness and covetousness, which is idolatry. They are coveting this land. And that is idolatry, because God has set this land aside for His purposes, and they are coveting it so that they can own it, and some of them have in mind to sell it. Others have in mind to do the work of God themselves by getting rid of me. But God appointed me, He didn't appoint them. They got the cart before the horse. They think they got a prophetess now? I wouldn't doubt it. No, they got a rebel, is what they have. For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. This is spiritual fornication and adultery they're committing, because they're going the way of Satan. You know what rebellion is? It is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is the same thing as worshiping Satan. They think they are serving God, but they are serving Satan, the devil, in their rebellion against God and His Word, and you, and this property, and me. They're rebelling against the ones God appointed to give this message to form this congregation. 
It's just that plain and simple. They are worshiping Satan the devil and don't even know it. Now, how plain can we get? You are his servant to whom you obey. <clears throat> and Satan is the beginner of rebellion. And Korah and Abiram followed it. And Ananias and Sapphira followed it. People get all upset. You calling me Korah? You better believe it. You better believe it. Repent or else. In which time you also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these. Anger? Are some of them angry? Oh boy. Wrath? Do they have wrath? Malice? Blasphemy? Filthy communication out of your mouth? Repeating gossip and stories that are just rumor and gossip and have no basis in truth? Character assassination? That's murder. All right, that's what God has to say about it in Colossians 3. I don't have time to go through the whole Bible today, or we'd have even more. But that ought to be pretty plain right there. They are going before the court reporter and the lawyers Monday morning, <clears throat> the day of the beginning of the sixth month. That's when I got Haggai started his message to come and build the temple. They are trying to destroy the temple. On the day that Haggai began his message to build the temple, they are saying in their lawsuit that they need to be made members of it and then it is to be abolished. Instead of building the temple, they are trying to destroy the temple of God. And they're liars and they're thieves and a rebellious house. Verse 15, Then I came to them of the captivity of Tel Aviv that dwelt by the river of Kibar, and I sat where they sat, and remained there astonished among them seven days. <clears throat> he was so uptight, so astonished, so in fear of God, that he just sat there for seven days. That reminds me again of Revelation 10, when the seven thunders uttered what they thundered, and that it was sealed. But he says, take the book, eat it, and go tell. But before he could do that, he gathered his thoughts. <clears throat> At the end of the seven days that the word of the eternal came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. Now, I've done it before, but I haven't done it quite as plainly and quite as specifically and quite as loudly as I am today. Because I think the Spirit of God moved me just as they are going to go formally lie and perjure themselves before the courts of the world, which they are commanded not to ever go to in the first place. They're breaking God's law again. They justify that by saying, they disfellowshipped me. No, they can't disfellowship me. They left the church of God. They were no longer part of the fellowship of God. Therefore, they cannot disfellowship me from the church. 
They are a house of rebels. And rebels cannot uh, disfellowship me from the church of God. And they're asking a judge to disfellowship me from the church of God and put them in it and then abolish the church. That's blasphemy against God. All right, they're being warned. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him not warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. You see why I'm excited today? If I do not give a warning that cannot be misunderstood, their blood will be on my hand. Now, if they repent, there will be no blood. But if they don't repent, and if they turn against this message, just like Zechariah 1 says they probably will do, and as Ezekiel says, then they will die, as Jeremiah 11 says, in famine and the sword. Man, woman, and child. I don't want to see that. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. I'm giving this message today partly out of self-preservation. I'm commanded to do this. And I think God inspired it, because I wasn't planning on doing this until this very morning. I was going to go through it, but I wasn't going to get like this. But it hit me that they are going to confirm these lies in court Monday morning on the day of the new moon again, and bodies will be in the streets. Amos applies to those who have the most information. Then it applies to the rest of the church. Then it applies to the nation as a whole. And this nation is going down very shortly in the Civil War and martial law and from there down into captivity. And I believe this is the year that these things are going to transpire. This very next chapter that I don't have time to get to today of Ezekiel shows Ezekiel going 430 days each day as a year because of our current nation who was in Egypt or Mitzrayim for 430 years and now has been here from 430 years since the successful Roanoke colony. And it is also the 64th year since the, uh, can't say it, that secret society, the Bilderbergers, was formed in 1953. And he says within 65 years, Ephraim would become not a nation. And we're in the 64th year since 1953. There's just too much that lines up. And now it's going to get dark at noon all across this country, a little before and a little after, but the middle of the day. And he says dead bodies will be all over the place. So it is the beginning of some pretty hard times. And these liars and thieves on this property who are fraudulent and embezzlers and idolaters and adulterers spiritually and murderers, are going to attest to officers of the court that their lying lawsuit is the truth. 
And they know better. It is no landowner's association. It's all about religion. And it was all about the message that I preached that they came here. And they were given a lease so that the land couldn't be sold. Part of their argument is going to be, well, we built some stick-built houses because we thought we were going to own it. Balderdash. They were willing to build those because they had 49 years and none of them are going to live that long. And it was renewable at that. So they had the security of a 49-year lease. That is a lame argument that is a lie. But their attorneys want to try to use it. And they are going to support and underline and tell the lie themselves. Now, that is the plain truth. And they will suffer for it by the hand of Almighty God. Read Jeremiah 11, the last part, very carefully. Verse 22, And the hand of the Eternal was there upon me, and he said to me, Arise, go forth into the plain, and I will there I will talk with you. Then I arose and went forth into the plain. Could be valley, the open area. That's where we are, and God has continued to show more truth since we've been here. The glory of the Eternal stood there as the glory which I saw by the river of Kibar, and I fell on my face. Now, He is going to come and dwell with us, Zechariah 2, in this end time. He said that. So, if He was there with Ezekiel, He's going to be there with us. Then the Spirit entered into me, and set me upon my feet, stood him up again, he'd fallen on his face again, and spoke with me, and said to me, Go shut yourself within your house. Now that's where basically I have been, at least symbolically. Uh, We got too small to meet in the hall. We're meeting here in my house. (laughs) I'm shut up within my own house. Only a few people will hear. But you, O son of man, behold, they shall put bands upon you and shall bind you with them, and you shall not go out among them. So they won't listen. They will put restrictions on me. They have. They they don't talk to me. They don't want anything to do with me. They want to run me off, give me 30 days to get off the property. So I'm, in that sense, restricted to talking to you. Now, if they hear this, and I hope they do, maybe they'll listen, but I doubt it. And I will make your tongue cleave to the roof of your mouth, and you shall be dumb, and you shall not be to them a reprover, for they are a rebellious house. So he says, give them the warning, tell them what God says, which I've been doing here for the last hour. And then he says, go in your house, shut your mouth, be as dumb, and don't reprove them. All right, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go talk to them. I'm not going to try to convince them. I'm not going to preach at them. Because they won't listen. They've turned their head and their ear, and they will not listen to me, that most despicable of all human beings, who they say has done this, this, and that, which he has not done. They're lying, gossiping rumors that have no foundation whatsoever. So... When I give this warning, I'm done with them. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth. 
And you shall say to them, Thus says the Eternal God. Well, he opened it today. He that hears, let him hear, and he that forbears, let him forbear, for they are a rebellious house. So he says, go warn them, go tell them, go tell them their sin. All right, it starts with covetousness, which is idolatry, and it goes through all ten. They are committing every one of those, and they're blaspheming against God, and they have a false god. The Pharisees thought they were worshiping the true God too, didn't they? But Christ said, no, you're worshiping Satan the devil. You're worshiping me, you don't know how to watch. And so are these people. I hate to be the one who has to bear that news. But it's up to them to repent and throw out that lawsuit and change their attitudes and quit rebelling against God or else they will die. And I hope, with you backing me giving this warning, that I'm preserving your lives and theirs and giving them a warning from this congregation. They need to consider you who are still following a congregation of God. They are trying in this lawsuit to abolish the church that you are attending today. That's what it says. And they are going to swear, or at least affirm, before God and man, that that lawsuit is the truth. And it is full of lies, lies and prevarications and idolatry. I hope they hear.